You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Brad Whit. He's the senior pastor of Abilene Baptist Church, which is not in Abilene, Texas. It's in Augusta, Georgia. It's one of the vibrant, growing churches that are part of the Georgia Baptist Convention. Uh, Brad has served our denomination at numerous levels, the social state and SBC committee, uh, committee level. Uh, in 2010, he was the president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. He's the author of 40 Days of Refreshment, uh, subtitle is Quiet Times for Hectic Hearts, and also the author of Rooted, Deepening Your Relationship with Jesus. Brad, welcome to Preaching Source. Doc, I'm excited to be here with you and on campus today here at Southwestern. All right. I've had the privilege of uh, preaching uh, for you there at Abilene and uh, just so impressed with what a, when we describe it as vibrant and growing, uh, those are are good adjectives for the church. Let me just ask you up front, what do you think has been the key secret to Abilene's growth and vibrancy? Well, we have been blessed. Uh, God has certainly brought a lot of folks in, not just to the church. We've seen a lot of people saved um, over the last six years now. And, of course, at the heart of it is just the blessings of God, uh, the favor of God. But as a pastor, when you begin to look at just the practicality, what is involved, I tell everybody a lot of the secret is the people. Uh, it is the people, uh, they serve, they're excited, they invite, uh, get, they get involved. And when you have a church that really believes in its mission, we really believe that our, our goal, our purpose is to reach people for Jesus and build them into fully mature reproducing followers of Christ. And when you have a church that really believes that, is excited about it, the natural byproduct of that is growth. You know, Dr. Rogers told us living things grow. And where there's life, there's growth. Now, where there's life, there's growth. Where there's growth, there's problems. Where there's problems, there are opportunities for solutions. And where there are solutions, there's usually more growth. And we've kind of worked through that. But God has just blessed us. So it's the favor of God. But then also, at the end of the day, it's the faithfulness of the people. And uh, we're so very, very blessed to have just some of the most faithful, stable people of any church I've ever been around. That's a nice alliteration, the favor of God and the there faithfulness you go. of the people. Well, Dr. Rogers taught me well. <laughs> so, uh, Brad, you, you are currently uh, in our Ph.D. in preaching That's program right. here at Southwestern, so you understand the ins and outs of, of good text-driven expository preaching. Is there a relationship between expository preaching and church growth? Yeah, I, I believe so. You can certainly grow a crowd without what you might call expository or text-driven preaching. I, I dare say that it's hard, it's very difficult to grow a strong church apart from expository preaching, text-driven preaching. Um, and, and, you know, those forms can take different shades of how you do it. Shorter series, longer series through books. We do longer series through books. Uh, this past Sunday, I finished, I think, Sermon 59 in Matthew. We just finished up Matthew 13. And we spent three years on Sunday nights in Genesis. And so we really believe in, and, uh, in those longer uh, series, trying to break them up into smaller portions. But basically, you're going through those books. All right. Now, now let me pause you right there. That, that's significant because you, you talk about long series. That is long. So 
What was it for Matthew? Your yeah, Matthew, Matthew thirteen. We, yeah, we just finished up Matthew thirteen this past Sunday morning. I think that was sermon fifty nine. Fifty nine. Yeah. And you took how long to go through Genesis? Uh, a little over three years. Three years. Okay. That I I want pastors to hear that because in in our age we think short attention spans, mm-hmm. but you kept people engaged for a long time in a couple of books. We did, and you know. I'm learning, even as you go through it, I've been pastoring for 22 years, grew up in the home of a pastor, and you're always learning. That's the key. And one of the things that I have picked up on, and we did it well at the beginning of Matthew, I probably missed one here recently. We just finished up the parables of the kingdom. And if I had it to do over again, I would have kind of subdivided that series. And so even while I'm out here this week, I'm going to be looking ahead to see what are some of those other divisions coming up in Matthew to see, can you package them a little bit different? Can you pull them out? Like we did the Sermon on the Mount, we called it Preach, uh, Studies in the Greatest Sermon Ever. And I think that's a way that you can take those longer books, those longer series, but you give a fresh twist. You give a little bit different uh, angle on application. But you can absolutely, I think, better, more effectively grow a strong, stable church uh, through expository preaching. Uh, how does a preacher set direction from the pulpit? I think it's key. Um, I've got a friend of mine. He refers to the pulpit as the helm or the lectern, the, the, you know, the, the, the pulpit as the helm. And he, he uses that, that illustration, to again, to set direction. And I think the, the pulpit is that primary place. That's the one place where you're going to speak to more people at one time than any other time in your ministry on a weekly basis is from the pulpit. And so they're going to pick up from you several things. How do you handle the Bible? How do you interpret Scripture? Do you really believe the Bible? Practical things like that. The Christian life. They're going to pick up on your quiet time, your personal. But then also, they're going to pick up on what's important to you. What is your focus? What is the focus of the church? What's big coming down the pike uh, at the church? Like, for example, this weekend we've got our quote-unquote spring revival. We call it Life Week. And so over the last several weeks from the pulpit, and the guys in the communications office will tell me, Pastor, we need you to hit it from the pulpit. We need you to encourage it from the pulpit. And so, you know, you have bulletins, you have uh, the online stuff, you have uh, those sorts of things. But when it all comes down, the people are going to want to hear from the pastor. This is important. This is what we believe. Also, this is what, how we're going to treat people. This is how we're going to interact. I, I'll do it from the pulpit if people are saving spots and saving seats and people won't scoot in and we need them to park out to make more room for our guests. We needed, we needed 80 families to start parking out and riding the shuttle this spring. And uh, so we made it a priority from the pulpit, and we got just about every spot we needed uh, to do that. So you're going to set the direction, the tone, the tenor, from the uh, pulpit. Hmm. I've heard you uh, uh, express some caution uh, about pastors who seek to be too clever uh, in the pulpit, and uh, I've also heard you talk about consistency. Mm -hmm. Talk to us just a minute about uh, should a pastor aim to be clever or consistent? Well, you know, there's there's always those, you, you and I have talked about it in class, those killer sentences those tweetable sentences, and I think there is great power in that. But I think that the most effective killer sentences, those little tweetable sentences, are the ones that just happen naturally. If, if you're really trying to focus all your sermon on those or a clever 
illustration, a clever uh, introduction, you're going to find two things. One, that you put all your time into something that didn't work. Or that it works so well. Remember the castle sermon. It works so well that it didn't really accomplish what you needed. And so, sure, try to be interesting. Uh, try to get attention. But when your goal is trying to be clever, you're going to find that it's a law of diminishing return. Uh, much more better to be faithful. One, one of the things that I've heard over the years, not, not just about the ministry at Abilene, but even Friends Ministries that I follow and I think a lot of, is the most effective ministries are those ones that may not be a 10 or 11 every week, but they're a solid eight because their people know I can invite my friends. I can invite my family members. I can invite my classmates, my coworkers, and I know this is going to be good. They're going to enjoy it. God's going to speak to them. The Bible's going to be preached. You know, the, the worst kind of ministry are those ones that are a 10 one week and a two the next because your people never know. And uh, so aim for consistency. If you're, a, if you're, if you're given uh, the gem one week of a, um, uh, a clever turn of phrase, use it. God bless it. But seek to be consistent week in and week out. Work it and make sure that you have a hot meal every Sunday morning. Wow. Ooh, a hot meal every Sunday. There that's you a, go. That's a good word. Now, Brad, every pastor we know, uh, including the two of us in the studio at the moment, fights for more time to to spend in, in study and crafting your sermon, and yet there are funerals, there are weddings, there are meetings, there's correspondence, there's planning, there's, there's all these things. I'd, you have talked before about uh, bucket days. To, uh, explain that concept of bucket days. Well, I'm, it's exactly what you just said. Um, starting out in the ministry, you, you're going everywhere. Franklin Covey. I remember going on staff when I was just an intern at Bellevue. They sent me downtown to get me a Franklin Covey. I was so excited. And I called my dad. I said, you won't believe. They bought me a leather. They spent nearly $200 on me buying me this Franklin Covey. Man, they must really love me. And my dad started laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, son, they just took away every reason you could ever give for not being where you're supposed to be, ready to do what you're supposed to do. And so ever since then, I've tried to be more effective. And I've, I've looked at all the time management stuff. But what works for me is to view days or at least major portion of days as buckets. And so, for example, I had a gentleman reach out to me the other day through Twitter and just say, hey, what's a normal week like for, look, look like for you? And, of course, there is no normal week in the pastorate. Uh, but my ideal week uh, would be Monday mornings, I'm not getting up at the crack of dawn. I've, I've preached three or four times on Sunday. I've taught classes. I've had meetings, uh, traveled or whatever. I'm tired. And uh, so I take a little extra time on Monday mornings. I might get to the office a little bit later. But I'm going to take Monday mornings kind of around the house corresponding, returning emails that came in over the weekend. Uh, if somebody asked me a question on Sunday morning, I'm going to respond there. Return a phone call. So that's my bucket on Sunday morning, is, or Monday morning rather, is that correspondence and kind of catching up from Sunday. Monday afternoon is review. Look over the day before. What happened? What went right? What did we forget? Uh, man, what did we knock out of the park? What did we strike out on? And so that's Monday. And then leading into Monday night, we still do outreach on Monday night. So if you visited our church on Sunday morning, somebody's going to be at your house Monday night. 
people say that it don't work, it doesn't work rather, uh, it's because they don't work it. And uh, it still works. And when we're one of the few churches in the area that still does that, there's there's a great benefit to it. Tuesday morning, I save my bucket there is for meetings. If somebody wants to meet with me, they can call the office on Monday, schedule it for Tuesday morning. Uh, Tuesday afternoon is staff meeting. Wednesday morning is a bucket for um, um, hospital visiting if I need to. Uh, go see somebody in the shut-in. I'm still a pastor, and so I'm still going to visit hospitals. I'm still going to visit shut-ins and nursing homes. Our executive pastor or minister of pastoral care will tell me, hey, I need you to go see this guy. We need to go see this lady. And so I say that from uh, Wednesday mornings. Wednesday afternoon, I prepare for Wednesday night. I still teach a Bible study on Wednesday night. Uh, Thursday uh, is my prep day. That's when I'm preparing for Sunday. Fridays for family. I take Fridays. That's my bucket for family. I'm going to spend it with my family. And then Saturday morning, I get around, run around, just get out of the house a little bit, go pick up my dry cleaning, get a cup of coffee, check in at the church. But then I'm back at the house by noon on Saturday. And then I take Saturday afternoon, just kind of rest, relax, look over my sermon, watch a football game, spend time with the kids, and uh, get ready for Sunday. And then Sunday, of course, we're up and at them early for the early service. So that's how, and, and if it doesn't fit in the bucket for that day, it doesn't go to the next day, it goes to the bucket on the next week. And so that's one way I handle those buckets. All right. Uh, Brad, I want to read you back a, a something, a quotation that I've, I've, your original quotation, I've heard you say this, and, and I want to ask you to reflect on this statement a little bit. Uh, you've said the energy of your church is found in its large worship gatherings. The excitement of your church is found in its new members, but the strength of your church is found in its small groups. To elaborate on that. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I've had to come around to slowly. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And there's nothing more exciting to me than being in a room full of people, sitting on top of each other, out in the aisles, chairs are on the back. And uh, if we're not careful, we will focus on those large worship gatherings and we'll neglect the small groups, whether you want to call them Sunday school, life groups, connect groups, what, whatever. But if you do, if you focus all on that worship service, which is fun, what you'll find is you end up having a very weak church. You have a very fickle church. You, you have a church that's not engaged. And so I began to think about it. It's not that the worship service is not important. It is important. And there's a lot of energy that comes there. And a lot of that energy then leads to people being saved. I mean, people in a hot service where God's moving and the Bible's being preached and there's great worship— you're going to find people being saved and lives transformed and marriages put back together. And so there's an excitement that comes there. And then those that come into your church, I always tell people on the, who are in charge of our ushers, put those new folks at the doors. Put them at the welcome stations, the newer members, because they're really excited and there's a smile on their face. And so there's that excitement. But if you don't focus on those small groups, you'll find that you lose them. You'll have a humongous front door and an even bigger back door. I talked to one of the missions pastors in one of our denomination's largest churches the other day, and he, he admitted, he said, we have a big back door. Well, your small groups will fix that. Your Sunday school classes will fix it. And that's one thing our executive pastor has told me. He'll get ex I'll get excited about a big worship number, and he'll say, well, Pastor, I know you're excited about the worship number, but you ought to be more excited. We had 1,000 in Sunday school Sunday. Because when you've got them in Sunday school, you've got them. That's what I told one of our new folks the other day. They visited the church. They've been coming the last several, several weeks. And I said, are you in a Sunday school class? 
That's the most important thing. You get in a Sunday school class, that's where you're going to be ministered to. And even in a church, I've said this uh, for years, even a church of 200, if all you do is go to worship, you don't go to Sunday school, you don't do anything, all you do is go to worship, you could die and they'd never know it. And so the key is getting plugged into those small groups. Mm. Uh, our friend Fred Luter has, is famous for having grown a dynamic church in New Orleans by reaching men. And uh, Fred said, you reach the men in the community and you're going to reach women and children as well. And you've had a very vibrant uh, ministry to men. How, how does a church do that? How do you reach those You have to make it a priority. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we have so many of our ladies who serve. And look, our churches would not operate if it were not for the faithful ministry of our ladies. It's not taking anything away from them. But I heard Jerry Vines say years ago, if you reach the children, you might reach the mom. You meet, reach the mom, you might reach the children. But if you reach the dad, you'll reach the mom and the children. And I've never forgotten that. And so we try to, even through the sermons, uh, to connect. I, I use the phrase, I try to connect with Bubba. I try to connect with the guy. Talk about hunting, fishing. We'll talk about football during football season. And some folks will get angry and they'll say, why are you talking about football from the, from the pulpit? Because if I can do that for just a minute or two, and that guy who thinks all preachers are sissies and those sorts of things, if you can connect with him, uh, then you can reach his entire family. And then not just that, you've got to mentor them. And so over the last several years, we have a group we call the Dodeca. And um, it's where we, Kim and I, my wife, we mentor a young couple, actually 12 of them every year. And we handpick them. They're already showing faithfulness and support of the church. We send them a letter. We invite them to be a part of this year-long process. We meet with them once a month. And I'm investing every month uh, in those men. We go through R. Kent Hughes' book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And I get them to write their testimony, how to share the gospel, uh, make them uh, share a devotional, teach them. And so you're investing in those men. And what we found is a lot of those guys who've come through our Dodeca group end up being our young deacons, our young Sunday school teachers. And so you're reaching those young men, you're reaching their families. And by that, you're not just changing your community, you're changing your church. Hmm. Uh, Brad, you were recently uh, with a group of pastors, and one of the uh, topics that came up in that discussion, that dialogue, was the, the value or lack of it in, in big, sensational, one-off events, uh, which a, a lot of churches become addicted to thinking, boy, in order to grow, we've got to have a big spectacular, uh, but they're there's a law of diminishing returns there. Talk a little bit about, I mean, the the value or lack of value of those big one events as opposed to other things that you do consistently to grow. Well, sure. I believe in big events, but big events are not what you build your church on. You stretch your church on big events, and, and it's a great thing to stretch into it. Uh, we do an annual Easter egg drop where we'll have between seven and 10,000 people show up every year. And as a result of that, we stretch. We end up with a lot of prospects uh, from that. We work and we do one big event a quarter is what we do. One big event a quarter. We take the following, the, the weeks that follow after that to follow up through those prospects. So big events are helpful to stretch, but you do not build your church on a weekend, week out. You know, topping last week. It, if you get into that, Again, what you're doing is you're building a show. You're not building a church. 
And so every healthy organism has those times of push, and then there's a time of rest. Your heart pushes and it rests. Your muscles push and then they rest. And those rests are where you build. Those rests are where you build. And so we have those big events to push, but then there's that consistency, like we talked about earlier, there's that consistency that comes up underneath those that builds your church. Your church is not built on large events. It stretches. But the building comes when you follow up from those large events. You can't do them every week. If you're trying to top last week and then this week top, you, you, you're never going to do it. And you're going you're gonna to build this expectation that church is supposed to be a show and always. And there's not. There are times in a church when you're grieving. There's times in a church where, just to be honest, you're plateaued. Uh, and those, by the way, those times when you're plateaued are often, if you'll do it right, the most effective times for your church because you're assimilating what you've brought in. And again, that's something that I've had to learn. Uh, if you're always growing, I always want to go, man, let's be 100, 200 bigger. Let's grow, 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 grow. And again, our executive pastor, I've learned a lot uh, from Terry Doss. Uh, he'll say, pastor, we have to have those times to assimilate. So let's grow, but then let's assimilate. And so that's kind of the way we've, we've operated it. Uh, big event stretch, but you build on those times where you follow up after those big wow. events. Um, Brandon, you, you mentioned having uh, one big event per quarter. You, you approach the planning of your church year, the life of your church, in, in quarters or seasons. Talk, talk about the value of those, uh, that seasonal yeah. quarterly uh, slicing of the church year. It's one of the most effective things I ever learned. Uh, when I was just a preacher boy at Union University, uh, they had a, a ministry there where they paired us up with seasoned pastors. And my mentor was Hoyt Wilson. Hoyt Wilson pastored First Baptist Church, Lexington, Tennessee for over 30 years. Large church, large Sunday school in the middle of nowhere. And Dr. Wilson and I would disagree. He did, he did not view preaching as an art form. And, uh, but the most valuable thing that he taught me was a yearly schedule or cycle. And we follow it pretty good at Abilene and pretty effectively. And it begins something like this. At the end of February, you begin your period of growth. And you're pushing. You're seeking to reach people. You're trying to enroll people in Sunday school, small groups, connect groups, life groups. Uh, you're building toward a, a spring revival, a life week, whatever you want to refer to it. But you're using February, March, April, the first part of May, you're using that time to really push and reach as many people as you can, and you cap it off with a time of evangelistic focus, uh, with a what you might want to call a revival, a crusade. And so all, a lot of those folks where they, that you've brought into the church, you'll see a lot of those folks saved. And then you take a time of rest during the summer, June, July, time to rest. And again, you're assimilating into... Uh, the church, what's been brought, you know, those who've been brought in during that time of push in the spring. And then when school starts back, you ramp up again and you're out there reaching, you're out there inviting, you've got a Sunday school push, you've got a small group campaign and you're inviting folks and you're trying to get them faithful September, October, November. And again, the end of November, you're going to cap it off with a, with some sort of focus, whether you want to call it a revival or a crusade but some way where you focus evangelism uh, specifically uh, or deeper Christian faithfulness there uh, at the end of November. 
because all those folks you've been bringing in and you capitalize on that. And then when you get done with there, December and January, you're again, you're, you're resting. You're resting. You cannot run all the time. And so those periods of push and those periods of rest really begin a cycle. And, and with your calendaring, it helps because then we know we're going to start in February with our small groups, our disciple life classes. And so we're promoting in January. We know we're going to start in September with our discipleship classes and our small groups and our push. And so we're promoting in August. And so there's just a, a flow uh, and a, um, uh, a symmetry, if you will, uh, to the year when you're, when you're approaching it that way. It's been effective for us, at least. Wow. Our guest on Preaching Source today, uh, Brad Whitt, is senior pastor of Abilene Baptist Church. And, and I would just say, Brad's a guy you need to have in your pastoral network if you're uh, certainly, if you're in the eastern U.S. or around Georgia, South Carolina, you ought to get to know him. And he uh, is a guy who pours himself into uh, other pastors. He, I, I love Brad because he's got enough uh, experience and knowledge. He's got a lot of stuff to share, but the man is a sponge. He is just com- he just cannot stop learning. Uh, and that's the way all of us ought to be. So, Brad, thank you so much for being with my, us on Preaching My pleasure. Stories. Thank you.